Welcome to Practical Christian Living. There may be some that never doubt, that never go, huh, I wonder if Jesus really did rise from the dead. I wonder if we're celebrating something that didn't happen. I know that I have those thoughts. I'll even have those thoughts now, and it's natural. And here's why. Because it is supernatural. We live in a world where we don't have supernatural things happening. The most important event to ever happen in history is also the most difficult to believe for a lot of people. Today on Practical Christian Living, we are talking about the supernatural, the unthinkable, the impossible, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Is it difficult for you to believe? Well, guess what? That's okay. Stay with us as we study believing the supernatural in a natural world. With Luke chapter 24, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Thank you very much, Lord, for all that you are doing. We thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives, and we trust you. We know that you are at work, not only among us, but among this nation and among the people that we interact with. For we are called to take the message of your gospel to a lost and perishing world. And we pray that you would empower us, strengthen us, and that where we may need the inner man strengthened tonight, we pray that as we look and study the Holy Spirit, we pray, Lord, that you would do a tremendous work. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Today, we're gonna talk about the importance of the resurrection of Jesus. We are going through our Jesus appointment series and we've been looking at encounters that Jesus had with individuals, even at one point with, with the devil and with demons. And um, his appointment last week, we studied the cross. And now we're going to begin to look at the resurrection. And we're gonna look at his encounter today with the resurrection itself actually coming out of that tomb. We're gonna see him interact with the four women that approached the tomb at first. Later on, we're gonna study Mary Magdalene, Peter, and John from the book of John. And then we're gonna to go to the book of Luke again and we're gonna study the disciples on the Emmaus Road. And we're gonna see the interaction between the risen savior and his disciples and how he worked among them. But today, I want to talk about what happened for us when Jesus came up out of that grave. The most important event in all of history. But why? And how should that resurrection change our lives? What kind of people should we be because we have a resurrected Lord? And the question really isn't, do you believe in the resurrection? I remember as a child going to church and, and celebrating the resurrection and thinking while I was there, I don't even know if I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And I think that that is natural. I think that happens. Easter is the most well-attended service out of all of the year. And I believe that whenever we go at Easter and we're talking about the resurrection, there may be some that never doubt, that never go, huh, I wonder if Jesus really did rise from the dead. I wonder if we're celebrating something that didn't happen. I know that I have those thoughts. I'll even have those thoughts now, and it's natural. And here's why. Because it is supernatural. We live in a world where we don't have supernatural things happening. If supernatural things were happening regularly, the resurrection would not have the impact that it's supposed to have. 
because we would be living in a world where supernatural things happen all the time and we would go, that's just another supernatural thing. But if you believe in God and you believe in Genesis chapter one, verse one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth that he took the natural events of things here on the earth and that he, he placed them here and that God could break that nature if he wants to. God could intervene and do something that he rarely does and that is bring someone back to life. And of course, the resurrection of Jesus is unique. There are people in the Bible that were risen from the dead, but they died again. Jesus rose from the dead and his body became new. We're told in 1 Corinthians 15 that there's a mystery. We're not all gonna sleep, but some of us are gonna be changed in a moment and twinkling of an eye and that this corruptible, meaning my body, your body is gonna put on incorruptible. This mortal is gonna put on immortality. I was talking to my wife about it on the way over and she said, that's like getting an upgrade at a hotel, but it's an even better upgrade. It's the best upgrade you could ever get. We get an upgraded body like, you know, to the, the honeymoon suite. We get like all the way up to the best that we could possibly get. The Bible says that when we see him, we will be like him. And so let me just get back to believing in the resurrection. If you believe in God and God created the world, then you believe that God can intervene in natural courses. And then we would believe that God could come to this earth with the purpose of dying on the cross and resurrecting that you and I could have our sins forgiven, that we would be given that incredible gift of eternal life. Now, if you don't believe in God, if you're an atheist and you believe that our bodies are just a natural result of something that crawled out of the mud uh, millions of years ago. There are real problems with evolution, and I, I, I'm planning to study not long from now on evolution, and we'll talk about the difficulties with evolution because honest scientists are talking about real problems with evolution. And that doesn't mean they're turning away from it, but they're trying to figure out, in their words, they would say on how it really works because evolution, as you and I have been taught, is not true. And, and, and scientists will admit that. There are honest scientists who will admit that the evolution that you and I were taught was not true. That doesn't mean they become Christians. It simply means they are honest about what we've been saying all along. They're saying we're right, but they're saying we're wrong. We're right that evolution can't be the way that they said it is, but they say that we're wrong, that it's some other way, and they're trying to figure that out. So if you don't believe in God, then I understand you saying, I don't believe in the resurrection. I think that we are just here naturally and that my consciousness or your consciousness is just electrical firings going off in our brain and that gives us a sense of the world around us and a sense of consciousness and therefore you don't believe in anything miraculous. You may be agnostic. You may say, I believe that there has to be a God because how did this world show up? When you're honest with yourself, how did the world get here? How did we get here? And so very, very few people are atheists. Very, very few. There are more that are, are agnostic than there are a group of people who believe in God but don't live for him, right? A lot of Christians who say, I believe in God, but they don't live their lives for him. They've never truly been born again. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is gonna enter the kingdom of heaven. And then there are those of us that have been born again and received Jesus as our savior. And I want you to know that having doubts in something that is supernatural is normal. It's a normal thing. Your, your doubts are okay. Take those doubts to God. It's okay that you have them. 
It's not a huge crisis. I think the enemy would like to, to cause a crisis in your life over that. But it's something supernatural. It's something that we have to get, we've got to get our minds around. Do you know the Bible tells us that when Jesus ascended up into heaven, he, he's with his disciples in Jerusalem, and Jesus just ascends. He comes off of that mountain and he ascends up into heaven. And that the disciples stood and just stared. I mean, what would you do if you were there? If Jesus gave you the last commission and then he just ascended up into heaven. You'd, they, like a balloon going up in the sky, you'd be watching. I think I still see him. Do you see him? I, I don't know. I think I still see him up there. And that an angel appeared and said, men of Galilee, why are you staring up at the heavens? For this same Jesus who left in this manner will return again in the exact same way. And then the Bible says that some of them doubted. Even at that point, even at the ascension, they'd been through the crucifixion, the resurrection. They had eaten with him. They had seen him appear over and over again after the resurrection. And still at that point, some of them doubted. Even after seeing all the supernatural things that God did by revealing that Jesus is the Messiah. And so that's important for us to understand that we want to look at things and we want to understand what we really believe about the resurrection and that I believe that God can intervene in this world and I believe that I've seen new supernatural things happen. I believe that God has answered prayers and worked in people's lives. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has worked in my life. And you may have that same experience. You know when something was going on and God intervened and God worked in your life and that is supernatural. That's not the normal course of things. That is supernatural. And so the resurrection is that way. And we want to consider today, again, what the resurrection is really all about. And I want to start doing that in Luke chapter 24 in verses 1 through 12 where we have the first account of the resurrection. We could have gone to Matthew, we could have gone to Mark, but we're going to go to Luke. And you can harmonize all three of these accounts, by the way. And then you have John's account. There's portions of John's account in each of them, but you have John's account and John deals with something different. And the reason that he does is because the synoptic gospels were written first. First of all, Mark was written. And then Matthew and Luke were written after that. And they contain portions of Mark. Mark was, we know that it was an actual source they were working from. And then John came in and wrote his gospel years later, and he wrote about things that we don't normally find in the Synoptic Gospels, and we'll get that when we get into the book of John. But I want to pick this up in verse 1 of Luke 24. The disciples are in despair. Jesus is in the grave. By the way, on Wednesday night, we're going to talk about what happened between the time Jesus died on the cross and between that morning when he was resurrected. What took place during those times? I just didn't want to do that on a weekend. I want to do that on a Wednesday night. So we're going to talk about what happened during those dark days. What, what happened to Jesus? What happened to the disciples? What happened on the earth during those days between when Jesus died on the cross and he rose again? But here we have the disciples in despair. These women are making their way to the tomb. There's been at least one, maybe two Sabbaths. Remember that Passover was a Passover was by the moon. When there was a full moon, that was Passover. And so it was a floating holiday. It landed at different points in the week. And Passover was also a Sabbath. So you could not only have your Saturday Sabbath on Passover week, but if it didn't fall on a Saturday, you could have a Friday and a Saturday Sabbath. There's a passage in Matthew that says it was before the Sabbaths, and it uses the plural for Sabbath. 
So it's possible there were two Sabbaths here, but Jesus has died on the cross and they have had at least one Sabbath and now they're going here on this third day. And if you got crucified on Friday, you can have part of Friday him in the tomb, all of Saturday him in the tomb and, and all of, excuse me, a part of Sunday very early in the morning to get to your three days. And so in Luke 24, verse one, it says, now on the first day of the week, which we know is Sunday, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. We know from other passages that they were discussing among themselves how they were going to remove the stone. The stone was too big for them to move it. They needed someone to help them. And they were worried about it. But when they got there, they found that the stone had already been removed. And it says, Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. It was an empty tomb. Verse 4, And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And that is by far my favorite resurrection passage. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And because he is risen, you and I will rise as well. It says, the angels went on to say, remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful man and be crucified and on the third day rise again. We know that when Jesus told the disciples this, that Peter grabbed him and took him aside and said, these things will never be. Jesus spoke often in parables, in, in stories. And I think that when Jesus said, I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles, I'm going to be crucified and on the third day, I'm going to rise again. I think a lot, the disciples went, what does that mean? What parable is that? Maybe they just didn't want to go any further. They didn't want to talk to him anymore about it. But they didn't remember it until after he was risen from the dead, we're told in several different places. It says, and they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and they told these things to the 11 and all of the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, the mother of James and the other women who were with her. We know that Salome was there as well and Mary, the mother of Jesus, or excuse me, uh, Salome was there and another Mary who told these things to the apostles. Now, I love the way that this is so matter of fact. It must have been just an absolutely exciting thing for them to rush in and tell them that Jesus's body was gone and they had talked to an angel. And it's interesting also that the disciples don't believe them. That Jesus chose to first appear to women is incredibly powerful. Women did have the ability. Sometimes you'll hear people say that women didn't have the ability to testify in court. Women did have the ability to testify in court, but they were not considered to be as strong of a witness as men were. And that Jesus would appear, first of all, to these women. There are those that question it because of that. They say, you know, if they're going to, if Jesus would have appeared, he would have resurrected and appeared to somebody, he would have appeared to men because they would have a stronger testimony. But I don't think that's the way God does things. The Bible says in our weaknesses, he is strong. 
And it's just like God to appear to women that they would be able to go and tell this story to the disciples. Later on, they'd be able to say, I told you so. You should have believed me when I told you. But that Jesus chose to appear to women first, I think in in an anti-woman society and the ancient world was, and Israel was in a lot of ways, and for Jesus to appear to them was incredibly powerful. And they went back and told the disciples later on on the Emmaus Road, and this is in the book of Luke as well, on the Emmaus Road, the disciples say, when Jesus comes alongside of them and they don't recognize him, he obviously is somehow hiding himself from them. And uh, he says to them, you guys are sad. And they go, are you the only stranger here in Jerusalem that you don't know how uh, Jesus, who we thought and hoped was the Messiah, how he was crucified and died? And on top of all of this, certain women came from the tomb and said that they had seen him. These two disciples didn't believe the women. They were still sad. They just would not allow themselves to begin to even say, he said he was going to rise again. And if he said he was going to rise again, then he would. And so then in verse 11, it says, and their words seemed to be like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed marveling to himself what had happened. We also know in one of the other accounts that as these women left the tomb, that Jesus appeared to them. They not only told him that they had seen the tomb, but that Jesus appeared to these women. We also know that Mary Magdalene, and we'll talk about this in John, so I won't get into too much detail, but that Mary Magdalene was dispatched when they saw the tomb was rolled away, and she ran back to tell the disciples and told Peter and John, who then ran to the tomb, and then Mary shows up at the tomb after James, uh, John, and Peter are gone. And I'm way ahead of myself, so I'm not even going to get into any more of that. We'll get into that when we get into um, the, the appointment with Mary Magdalene after the resurrection. So what does the resurrection mean to you and I? I think before we get into the meaning of the resurrection, I want to talk about some of the proofs of the resurrection. Perhaps you've heard that word used, that there are, some people will say, there are indisputable facts about the resurrection that people just can't, they just don't have an answer to. Maybe you've been skeptical about those facts and wondered why that was the case. Well, first of all, the Bible tells us about the resurrection. But of course, and we do know that the Bible is historical. The Bible is far more historical. We know now that the Bible is far more historical than Bible critics of the past ever gave it credit for. It's telling us things that happened in places that are real. They will reject oftentimes the history, even when there's evidence from other sources, because of the supernatural aspect. And just to be honest with you, I understand that. If I were not a Christian and I were looking at the Bible as history, I might see some value in it, especially if I knew it as good as I know it now, that there's historical value in it, but I might reject the supernatural claims of the Bible as well. But there are several other places that speak of the resurrection of Jesus. There was, first of all, Joseph, uh, Josephus, Flavius Josephus. He was the Jewish historian who was with Titus when Titus marched on Jerusalem in 66 A.D., and finally took Jerusalem in 70 AD. And he has two different passages on Jesus. One of them, the later one, is not disputable. 
historians and experts say Josephus wrote about Jesus. And he wrote about James, the brother of Jesus, believing in Jesus as the Messiah. He also makes reference to him being crucified. This is a man, a historian, who lived in the first century. There's an earlier quote where he talks about Pontius Pilate and Jesus being called the Christ, but that, that seems to have been tampered with. Josephus was not a believer. And in that earlier quote, he says, this was Jesus who was the Christ. And he says, and he was a man who was suffered under Pontius Pilate, if you can call him a man. And so we know that somebody came in afterwards and tampered with it. But historians and, and people who study manuscripts believe manuscripts, experts we'd call them as well, people who study manuscripts, very important people. And uh, they will tell you that they believe the hearts, the, the middle part of that is true, and that somebody came in later on and took parts out and added some to make it look like Josephus was some kind of a believer when we know that he wasn't. Nevertheless, this is an extra-biblical account that not only tells us that Jesus was a person from the first century, that not only tells us Jesus was a person, but that he was crucified. There was also a Roman historian by the name of Tacitus. Tacitus lived in the first century as well. And Tacitus writes of Pilate, he writes of Jesus, and he writes of his crucifixion. This is not a biblical source. And this is what we would call a hostile witness. He was a Roman historian who did not like Jewish people and who put them all together. And he writes of a group of Christians. And he calls us by a name that it's the wrong name to call Christians. And then he calls Jesus the Christ or that we as Christians believe in him as the Christ and that we believe in some, I'm trying to think of his exact words now, Tacitus, you can look it up, that we as Christians believe in some incredible superstition. It was something like that, that he, that he says, that, we, that there's some superstition. And it's not superstitions where it would be like communion, but it's one incredible superstition that we believe in, and he's probably making a reference to the resurrection. Now, there are other ancient historians from the first century and from the second century. First century would be zero to 99. Second century would be 200 to 299, right? So these are very early sources that talk about Christians, talk about the resurrection, talk about the commitment that we had, that Christians had to Christ. And this is the reason that today scholars will say, we know that Jesus existed. I was talking to a critic not, I don't know, a few months ago, and he said to me, well, I don't believe Jesus even existed. And I said, well, then you're going against every scholar that's out there. Because every scholar in this field that studies it knows that that's an old argument. That argument was used by critics in the 60s and 70s and maybe in the 80s. But soon after that, it faded away because of all of the historical evidence that we have. So when you look at all of these things, these, these are facts that you have to deal with. And when you ask people who are in the world, we know these things, they're facts. How do you explain them? And I've never heard anybody explain these facts in a way other than it happened. That Jesus rose from the dead. These disciples saw the risen Lord. How did the gospel spread around the world so early? How did all of these things that we talk about take place 
if it wasn't for the incredible aspect of the resurrection. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.